0: Well, we're going to start with a vocabulary lesson, which is why all the kids are running. Because I noticed that in your bulletin, uh, the the thesis of the sermon will say salvation is from the Lord. But in Jonah chapter 2 verse 9 in the ESV, it's going to say salvation belongs to the Lord. And I want to tell you why because neither one of those words that we're differentiating are in the text in Hebrew. So um, we have a word that you'll probably recognize a form of, Yeshua. You should recognize Yeshua as a Hebrew name for Jesus. You may have heard that before. Uh, and you have a word, uh, it means salvation or deliverance or victory or health or a few other things. Something great, Okay. Rescue is the other one it can mean. So here it's translated salvation. If you put a ta on the end, so it's Yeshua ta, and uh, if there was a Hebrew expert here, I don't know if I'm pronouncing any of these correctly. I'm doing the best I can. It is as, as if an apostrophe S has been placed. So um, in the Hebrew, you just have two words set beside each other. You have Yahweh, which is translated Lord, and you have Yeshua ta, which is translated salvation connected to the next person who is the Lord. And so, there is no from or belongs to, it's just through translation we do the best we can. So, uh, that's why it's fair to say salvation belongs to the Lord or salvation is from the Lord or salvation is the Lord's or whatever. And the, these two words that are going to mean so much in this morning's sermon, salvation and the Lord, are The first one, salvation, is such a dynamic word that can mean so many different things. Uh, It's only in Scripture twice. This word is in uh, Psalm 3, 2, translated as deliverance. And then here in Jonah 9, translated as salvation, it only appears twice. And then, of course, Yahweh was a word so holy, God's name, that when it was translated, they would take out the vowels uh, when the Hebrews wrote it down, they would take out the value, vowels so it could not be pronounced so that there was no way they would take the Lord's in vain, name in vain because they couldn't even say it. So it became an unpronounceable uh, Yahweh without the A and the E. So that's the discrepancy. And the bottom line is that Hebrew and Greek uh, are so dynamic that when, when anything gets translated into English, it loses something and And we don't maybe the percentage is ten percent, and maybe the percentage is twenty percent, whatever it loses some of its life because those languages were more dynamic and are more dynamic than our language, so we gain that back, I believe, when we read the scripture with an open heart for the Holy Spirit to help us and We're prayerful and we're concentrating, and I think all that the translation missed certainly God can give back to us and help us realize. And and so I hope all that's lost in translation will gain back through focus and prayer and all that we should have as we go before the Lord this morning. We're going to go through um, Jonah chapter two. Most of the chapter is a prayer that Jonah's praying. Uh, the prayer starts out of my distress. I call it out to the Lord, and then he tells what his prayer was. And the focus we're going to have is verse 9. We're going to start there and move backwards. So look at verse 9. It says, But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will pay. Salvation belongs To the Lord. And I want to look at what God may have been doing in Jonah's life to bring him to the point of saying that, of giving that confession. Because it didn't come out of the blue. God has been working on Jonah at least since he sent the storm that we read about last week, organized the lots that were cast to fall on Jonah and prepared the fish to swallow Jonah, all in an effort to get Jonah to say this confession and and to mean it. And so I want to look at perhaps what the Lord did in Jonah's life and what he does in ours as well. Let me pray for God to help us, and then we'll start at the beginning of the chapter and read through. Jesus, I ask for great help to... Look clearly into your word, explain it clearly, and for us to love what we see, love what we we learn about you, and to be able to say with some joy and depth that salvation is from you. And because we know you, we have salvation, and for that to change everything about who we are and how we live. I pray that and hope that in Jesus' name. All right. So then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of a fish. Verse 1, then he prayed. So let's then, as if something has happened that caused him to pray. And we know what that something is, that he's been in the belly of a fish or a whale. Uh, Fish in Scripture is all sea creatures. I Googled and and did some investigation this week, and apparently the blue whale's uh, belly can hold 2,000 pounds so I imagine a human being could fit there as well. Um, when a blue whale is born, it's as big as a minivan. So there's space in that big body that's as big as a, uh, a jet. So there, there are also animals that may not exist anymore um, that could have swallowed up Jonah. And so he's in uh, a belly. We don't know if it's as big as an elevator or if it's all up against him. And we don't know, but certainly... Um, he's there for three days. And I love the, some. sometimes just little little things are, are funny. Because he's there for three days, uh, which just means it could have been 48 hours. just means on this day he was there a little bit. On this day he was there the whole time. And now it's this third day. And he's there. And then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish. Then he prayed. Right? I mean, uh, C.S. Lewis wrote that... Um, he 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 believed in in people having free will, but he didn't say that uh, God wouldn't twist our arms. So this is certainly he's got Jonah in a chokehold, sort of speak. His arms behind his back, and uh, telling him, you know, you might want to tap out here, Jonah, because the way you're living your life isn't working very well. And so then Jonah prays, and we're we're told from Scripture that he he provokes our our prayer. He when, when we pray, we need to know that since salvation is from the Lord, prayer is from the Lord too. That, that even when we pray, that has been provoked somehow through God doing things in our life. In other words, none of us ever, no one ever has decided, now I will talk to the king of the universe without first God doing something in that person to give them that idea. No one thinks of that. No one thinks of prayer or praise or obedience or concentration because we're we're wicked and we only think about ourselves. And to think, to to talk to this God and to acknowledge him and love him has got to be something that he's orchestrating within us. The Bible says that that happens in two ways at least. One is with pain. So you can imagine that Jonah's in some pain. Um, I don't know how he's getting fresh water I don't know, he certainly hasn't eaten anything, and the the menu wasn't appealing. Perhaps it was on day three. I've eaten things when I was hungry that I wouldn't have eaten when I was full. So perhaps he has eaten a little bit. But he's uncomfortable and probably hungry and thirsty. And he gives God credit for this in verse 3 at the beginning. It says, you cast me into the deep. So he acknowledges that God's hand has been involved in all of these events. When we read chapter 1, it doesn't say that God cast him into the deep. It says that the sailors picked him up and threw him off the ship. But Jonah's looking past the, the apparent and the visible to say, okay, I know who really orchestrated all this was God. And so he's in discomfort and he prays. Psalm 19 verse 71 says this from David. It was good for me that I was in affliction, that I might learn your statutes. So David acknowledges that God provokes obedience and prayer through discomfort. Ironically, he also does this through kindness. Romans chapter 2 says, It is your kindness, Lord, that brings us to repentance, quoting a scripture in the Old Testament. And Jonah mentions the kindness of God at the end of verse 2. Look we're at the verse 2. He, he says, he cried out then at the end of verse 2, and you heard me. So here's this interesting irony on how God provokes us to call out to him. He gives us discomfort and pain, and he shows us kindness, and he does that in the same event. Because you read the end of verse 2 and the beginning of verse 3, and they're, they're right next to each other. He's praising God. I cried out, and you heard my voice. And then verse 3, you cast me into the deep. So here's what you've done that, that was giving me discomfort. And in that discomfort, you have shown me amazing kindness. He also deserves Jonah's praise. And Jonah gives him praise. Verse 2, all of, all of verse 2 says, I call it out to the Lord. Out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of the grave I cried, and you heard my voice. So he provoked the prayer, and then he confirms that he hears the prayer, and that stimulates praise in Jonah. And he's praising God. We could summarize it by just saying, because God has rescued him. Now, you see the irony, because most of us would say getting thrown into the ocean and swallowed by a great fish is not praiseworthy and is not uh, something that would, we, we would call a rescue. But as you read through the passage, as we will, he, he was brought to the point of death. He thought he was going to drown. He was sinking deeper and deeper. And in his desperation, a fish swallows him. He's got some air to breathe, and he sees that as something that's praiseworthy. This kind of grace, because salvation is from the Lord, is cat grace, not monkey grace. This is an illustration from John Piper. Thank you, Greg, for that wonderful look. Cat grace, monkey grace. So we know how if you're, if you're a baby monkey and you've got to stick with your mama, you better just hold on. Because mama's busy swinging. Swinging. And you see a monkey with an adult monkey. The monkeys, all the connection is dependent on the youngster. Versus, how does a cat carry its young around? Back of the neck, lifted up, taken wherever. That, that baby does nothing. And the mama does everything. The grace that God gives us is cat grace, not monkey grace. It is not that we meet the Lord and we say, oh, this is great and I'm just going to hang on as tight as I can and I hope I don't fall out and I hope I don't fall out of favor and God's going to do what he's going to do and I'm just going to hold on. No, it is God picked you up and took you somewhere and you did absolutely nothing. The Bible says it this way in Colossians chapter 1, verse 13, I believe. 12, through 13, and 14. You can look this up later, unless you have really fast fingers, or you can just listen. It says, We give thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. And listen to what it says He did. He has delivered us from the dominion of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of His beloved Son, in whom we have redemption. It's the same idea as transplanting trees from one place in a field into your yard and your house. The tree did nothing but get transplanted. Jonah hasn't done anything here except for yield to all that God is orchestrating in his life. But God is the the origin of this praise. You know just from 1 Peter a few weeks ago, Once you were not a people, and now you are the people of God. What happened between you not being a people and being a people of God? The verse goes on, that you may proclaim his praises, that you might give him praise. What happened was that God intervened, and God changed you. And we cannot and do not have the ability to change ourselves. And so God is working on Jonah. Because he doesn't have the ability to change himself, and he's doing things on the outside and on the inside for Jonah to, to please him more and more. not I, I lost my place in Jonah's not a very common book. Give me a second. If somebody's using a pew Bible, shout out the page. There it is. Okay. Um so this is this this is what the hymn the old hymn writers are celebrating, right, when they say, this is my story, this is my song, praising my Savior all the day long, or, or once I was sinking deep in sin, far from the peaceful shore, but what the, the phrase is, then love lifted me, we have all of these choruses and refrains about God's intervention in our life. So he gives us great discomfort and shows us kindness, we pray, he seems to hear us, and we are excited and we begin to give him praise, and that's what Jonah is doing here. And then we have a long passage for the next two points, which I'm going to merge. I think in your notes it says he shows us a reality and he gives us an insight. So we're just going to put those together and say that he shows us a reality by giving us an insight. Verses 3 through 8 say this. For I was cast into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the floods surrounded me. All the waves and your billows passed over me. Then I said, I am driven away from your sight. Yet I shall look upon your holy temple." Regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. So this moment of epiphany happens. And he sees reality for what it is. Here's some reality that he sees. First, he sees what he really needs is the Lord. Not to avoid Nineveh. Not to somehow get to the surface and breathe air, but what he really needs is the Lord. And when we find ourselves uh, sometimes in comfort, we don't know what we need. And in discomfort, some, everything becomes clearer, and sometimes we see reality. I'll give you a terrible example from my life. It was a it was a horrible thirty seconds to a minute of my life. When I was about eight years old, I was swimming in a a, a swimming pool just in somebody's backyard and it was only eight feet deep, but I thought it was really cool the way the grate on the drain looked, and I wondered if I could get my finger in the grate, and I did. I just couldn't get it out of the grate. And it's amazing how my very first concern, as my finger stuck, and I'm eight years old, and I'm at the bottom of a pool, my very first concern is this finger, which lasts for about five seconds, at which point I have zero concern for this finger, would gladly surrender the finger to the drain, to get to the surface, right? And so discomfort has a way of clarifying things for us. I thought my finger was important until it was hung in a drain and I needed oxygen, okay? Jonah thought his way of living was important until he found himself in the belly of a well and then he realized, oh, my great need is the Lord. And so he calls out to him. He shows us what we really need is him. In verse 4, we see this amazing change of heart Whereas Jonah's dying, he he says, I w- he was driven from your sight, and then he says, Yet I shall again look to your holy temple, as if he thinks it's his last moment, and he just wants to look towards God one more time. What becomes important to him is the Lord. Verse 7, he echoes this My life was fainting away, but I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came into your holy temple. So reality is what we need most is him. And reality is what we deserve most is death. And Jonah realized this. Verse 5 and 6, He he, the water's closing over him, the deep surrounding him, weeds wrapped around his head. He's going down to where the bars closed me in forever. And no rebellion against thinking he doesn't deserve it. Just a to hope to, to die with some sort of acknowledgement of the Lord. And this reality, which we know is true theoretically and scripturally, we know it. We can nod our heads and say, yes, what I need most is God. What I deserve most is death. The wages of sin is death. I've sinned. But then we live our everyday lives ignoring these two grand realities. And if we don't, here's an amazing insight we can live with. We always get better than we deserve if we are his. Isn't that amazing? We always, no exceptions, we always get better than we deserve if we are his. And you can amplify that saying, we always and will forever get better than we deserve if we are his. And we live in a world that's not reality because we live in a world where we ask Why do bad things happen to good people when reality says there are no good people and plenty of good things happen to bad people all the time, right? No one is struck by the injustice of the stock market going up. We just complain about it going down. Why is it going but reality is every good thing that happens to us is undeserved. And it it should be shocking that good things happen. Here Jonah, because reality is restored, is praising God for being in the belly of a fish because he knows in that moment he is still getting better than he deserves. says in verse 6, God brought him, brought up my life from the pit. And in verse 3, at the beginning it said, you cast me into the deep. There's the orchestration of God, that God has, has cast him down only to lift him up. The reality we have the option of enjoying is that the joy of the Lord is our strength. From Nehemiah, you know, that, that, what an amazing verse that's so forsaken. I mean, how many times do we think in our Christian lives, oh, man, how do I just get strength to continue and we have that, a verse that says, the joy of the Lord is my strength. What an incredible God to make joy our strength. Not gritting your teeth, not, not suffering, but joy. That you find strength to live the joy of the Lord. Or, or Psalm 16 that says, there are pleasures forevermore at his right hand. So we have a God who gives us pleasures. And we have a God that strengthens us with joy. And we have a reality; these things are true. They're not just good for Sunday morning. They're true for, for everyday life. And and we can get set apart. It's an amazing. I don't, I don't know if I can articulate this correctly because I just thought of it this week Well, I'm reading a book by Daniel Pink called Drive. It's an outstanding book. If you haven't read it, finished it last night, and he talks about rewards uh, damaging things because if if you give people rewards and ex- external, extrinsic motivation, uh, it just trains them to want more rewards. And then you have to give them bigger rewards and it's like a drug. And, and so it's our intrinsic desire, just wanting to do good, that needs to be amplified. And there are studies done where if your goal in college is to make X amount of money, um, and then three or four years later they check on you and you are, you're not any happier than you were before you achieved that goal. Instead, you've just set another goal to make X amount of money. <laughs> And so the world lives in this false reality of always trying to gain rewards to see that they won't satisfy. So th- so they think, oh, I need bigger rewards because those didn't satisfy, satisfy, and so they just go for more and more and more. What good news it is for us to have the truth that... The greatest reality is that we will never be given what we deserve, that we have been given grace, that we have been changed, that God loves us and is for us and redeems us. And even when he shoves us down, he he lifts us up so we can praise him, so we can pray to him, so we can see reality. And, And you walk through life with the joy of the Lord unrelated to external circumstances. That's the gospel being lived out. What good news to be able to tell people that that is what they can have. That kind of life is the life Jesus gives. So Jonah, through all of this happening, comes to the realization, verse 8, that those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. That he comes to this insight of There's a reality I should be living by. It's that God is good to me and God loves me. And verse 9 at the end, that salvation belongs to the Lord. So here's the repentance. Jonah was acting as if salvation belonged to him, as if it was something he could distribute as he wanted to. And he didn't want to distribute it 550 miles away in Nineveh, so he was going to run 2,500 miles away to Tarshish. And he comes to the repentance repentance and says, you know, salvation is not mine. Salvation is from the Lord. And then when he says this, verse 10, And the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah out upon dry land. Now let me contend that the then- in verse 1, then Jonah prayed, and the then, in verse 10, then the Lord commanded the fish, are not the same thens. They're the same word, but in context. Then Jonah prayed is because of, because of all of this, because of all that we just talked about, the discomfort and the realization, because of this. But God doesn't work on an if-then, like if you do this, I'll do this. This then for God is just the next thing that happens in sequence. It wasn't God waiting for Jonah to say this and then God say, oh, okay, I've been waiting. I'm so glad you said that. Now I will deliver you from the belly of the fish. It is first God provoked prayer. Then God provoked praise. Then God gave an insight to reality. Then Jonah confessed. Then God commanded the fish. It's just in sequence. He's been doing all of this. It's it's, it's not that we provoked him to do anything. It's that he has been working on Jonah and he works on us. And great deliverance that we get is just part of the sequence of all that he's doing because he cares for us. Now those of you who know the whole story of Jonah know that Jonah, Jonah's repentance was short-lived. You have a picture of the, the prodigal son's story in the book of Jonah. You have Jonah acting as the prodigal son here in chapter 1, fleeing from the presence of the Lord. He has the come-to-reality moment. Jesus puts it in the story as then the, the man came to himself. The light came on, and he goes back home. And Jonah's doing this now. He's, he's decided to go. He's been spit out onto the shore. But if you know the rest of the story, you know that Jonah just went from being the prodigal son to the older brother. And then he throws a fit that people repent and even says, I knew you would do this, God. <laughs> that's why I didn't want to go. I knew that you were compassionate and slow to anger and were going to forgive people. And I hate those people, and that's why I didn't want to go. And then you have in the story, of course, the father, God the father, and Jesus told the story of the prodigal son, which is better entitled the story of the good father. And you have this father working on Jonah who doesn't deserve to be worked on, trying to reach Ninevites who don't deserve to be reached. And our opportunity, and it's an amazing opportunity, is to neither be the prodigal, or the older brother, but to live in a way where we are dis- distributing grace as the Father does. It really is an option for living. We don't have to always be prodigals, we don't have to always be older brothers. We can, and God calls us to, be in the new creation He, he placed within us and to live out a distribution of grace. We do that by practicing the disciplines that we see here. So here's a final irony before we prepare to take communion. You and I can avoid some crisis, not all crisis, but you and I can avoid some crisis in our life, the the swallowed up by a fish kind of crisis, by practicing the disciplines that now, that the crisis would provoke us to practice if we were in the crisis. Does that make sense? If Jonah had been praying all along, praising all along, seeing reality all along, confessing that salvation is the Lord all along, he wouldn't have been swallowed up and en- endured the discomfort. So God gives us discomfort to provoke these disciplines to cry out to him so he can change our personality But if we're disciplined enough to say, you know what, Lord, I know that's coming. I know you'll do that. You love me so much. You're willing to twist my arm to to bring me to another way. How about I just seek you every day? I think God's given that a big thumbs up because we can practice these disciplines without crisis. We can pursue the Lord and love him and do all that Jonah does in this moment. Because the truth is God is provoking all of us to do that even now the holy spirit is constantly drawing us to god and if we we just kind of open the windows so to speak he'll blow in and come in and change the temperature of our spiritual lives so that's our opportunity and that's what i want to pray is that as we live we would live in a way celebrating and stating that salvation is from the lord it's not my own he gives it to me freely it came from him And if he calls me to distribute it, it's his. And I should obey. Lord, I I ask that we would love this truth that salvation is from you. Salvation is yours. You are the God who saves. You are the God who changes. And we see all this work you are doing in the life of Jonah and certainly know that you're working on us as well. And I pray that we would yield to the work of the Holy Spirit and what he is trying to do in our hearts and our minds, that we would seek you freely and lovingly because you first loved us. I pray that you would help us escape many, many, many crises that we might have had we not followed you to begin with and just have the discipline to love you and follow you and be spared I pray that we would be like you. That we wouldn't be prodigal sinning in our actions and we wouldn't be the elder brothers sinning in our attitude, but that we would be full of grace, full of celebration. That salvation is from you and we are yours and we can live out showing grace and spreading grace. Help us to concentrate on that in this last song and as we take communion and to meet with you and to show our love to you in these next few minutes.